The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. John Gibbons is with us for our weekly Last Word in the Environment. Now, what's this about making motorists responsible for collisions with cyclists automatically? Because surely there are times when the cyclists are 100% at fault. Uh, Good evening, Matt. Yes. Um, Where this idea emanates from is Holland, which, of course, is European, uh, if you like, home of cycling. And one of the reasons, obviously, there's many reasons why Holland has been so successful with cycling. Infrastructure is number one. But supporting infrastructure has been a a change in in Dutch law. And essentially, that places the, the legal onus on the larger vehicle, the more dangerous vehicle, if you like. So so this doesn't, by the way, just apply to um, cyclists. It also applies equally to pedestrians and other vulnerable road users. So essentially, what Dutch law says is that it's in pretty much all, it's, it's, it's called a strict liability law and basically means that the car driver or the lorry driver is, is deemed to be responsible in any collision between a cyclist and a car, regardless of fault. And even if the driver can prove that the, the collision occurred because of, of a cyclist, say, making a mistake, the motorist insurance company still has to pony up for about 50% of the claim, a minimum, in fact, of 50%. Now, if the collision involves a child, then that rises to 100%. Now, again, let's take a moment to consider the fairness and unfairness of this, right? We have an issue. First of all, it is government policy in Ireland and across Europe to uh, work towards uh, sustainable transport, which basically means active transport, which is again is key for we need way more cycling, more more pedestrians. The problem, of course, is cyclists have been effectively pushed off the roads. You know, if you go back even to the 1990s, Matt, the number of children who cycle to school at that time has fallen in the intervening 30 years precipitously. And it isn't that kids have got lazy, it's that the roads have gotten too busy. So if you like, the purpose of this type of law is to redress an imbalance. It isn't to create an imbalance. It's actually to fix an imbalance. Well, as a listener here has texted in his own personal experience. He says, cyclist ran into the side of my car coming off a cycle lane where there was a yield sign, went over my bonnet and fractured her leg. Assessor from my insurance company said they were paying out, even though I was at no fault in any way. They said it because if they go to court to contest, they say the judges always favour the cyclist or pedestrian. Now my insurance is going up to no fault of my own. Obviously, that's a that's a particular case. Uh, whether judges always favour cyclists, I think that is, uh, as they say, the, the, the plural of anecdote is not data. So I think we would want to look a lot more closely to make that assumption. I think to go back to this, Matt, this is about redressing an imbalance. The imbalance is this. If you're out on the road on a bicycle, for argument's sake, you're on a road, you're sharing that road space with vehicles, by the way, that over the last 10 years have got bigger, heavier and wider. The drivers are now sitting in higher positions. They're more cut off from the road than they've ever been. And cyclists have less space on a road. If you take two SUVs, if you like, passing one another, they're pushing out the space available. They effectively have the footprint of a small truck. Now, that means that cyclists are more vulnerable now than they've ever been. Now, the question is, if we are serious about having a transition, if we really mean it or if we're not just pretending that we mean it, then we've got to figure out a way to make that road space work for both sides. Now, in Holland, one of the great ironies of the Dutch law is that the most active lobbyist, Matt, for uh, protected cycle lanes for pedestrians is in fact motorists. Why? They don't want to be sharing the road space, the the physical road space with cyclists because the law places that strong onus on them. Effectively, it means that drivers have to be, they, they, they avoid, they avoid cyclists like, like, 
vampires avoid garlic. They stare absolutely clear of them. What we see in Ireland is some really dreadful road behaviour. And that, OK, if a cyclist makes a mistake, does something stupid, like your, your listener said, OK, somebody, in fact, in that case, the cyclist was the one who ended up with the fractured leg. OK, the guy ended up with a bump, but there's the cyclist who ended up with the fractured leg. Now, I can even think of, of a, a case of, I had of this map myself crossing the, crossing the road in town one day where I probably uh, was on a, a dark orange light. This is on foot, by the way. And as I was crossing the road, a Dublin bus, bus came around the corner. The driver saw me. And he saw that I was trying to get across the road and he kept going. He basically put the boot down. Now, luckily, I'm fairly light on my feet and I made it to the footpath. But another half a second and he would have hit me. Now, I, do, I reported, of course, there was nothing done. But the point is, we need to get it through drivers' heads that they are responsible for the safety of other vulnerable road users, whether it is pedestrians, whether it's people with, with children in buggies or whether it is cyclists. At the moment, the attitude tends to be, oh, I rule the road. I'm a driver. And I will say this, Matt, I'm a driver. I'm a pedestrian. I'm an occasional cyclist. So most of us are all of these things. However, many of us, our behaviour changes when we get behind the wheel of a car. And the best way to redress that imbalance, that power trip, if you like, that many people experience in cars, this idea that the road is theirs and they're not going to share it, is, if you like, what the Dutch have done. And that is to use legal instruments to balance up and to create effectively a a level playing field. Yeah, but the listeners are saying, like one says, can you please tell your guests to stop comparing Ireland with the Netherlands? Because they have infrastructure for cyclists that is first class whereas here it's third world so you can't apply rules to motorists when the motorists don't have the same chances perhaps as to behave properly as they do in the Netherlands That's a really good point and I made the very point, Matt, that the change in law drove a change in infrastructure because it was drivers groups that started lobbying for protected uh, infrastructure because they were concerned about their liability. So suddenly, and take a situation like Strand Road in Sandymount. Imagine if the the drivers of Sandymount found themselves in a situation where they're facing a 100% legal liability in every time they encounter a cyclist. They would probably be playing a different tune when it comes to producing protected cycle paths. So it really is a if you'll pardon the pun, a virtuous cycle that we need to create here where we get infrastructure and we also alter behaviour. There seems to be an issue, a listener here points out, and I've seen these videos on Twitter from drivers purposefully hitting cyclists and laughing about it and drivers threatening cyclists. It's like the Wild West. Now, I think more of those are coming from England, the ones that I've seen rather than Ireland. But I, I just would be fearful that there seems to be a growing ant- ant- antipathy between cyclists and Motorists. I agree. And, I, and some of this, unfortunately, is whipped up not just on social media, but I've heard it whipped up on, on chat shows, on radio programmes, like the, the kind of nighttime radio programmes. Not this one. Not this one, Matt, but radio programmes where it seems to be great crack, where the presenter basically is, is calling in people to, 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 to behave badly and to tell us stories. Now, the instant, by the way, that you're referring to, I believe... It occurred in Dundalk. The evidence points to Dundalk. They seem to have identified the street. But for for your listeners who might want to look it up, essentially, it's a young guy, probably in his late 20s, uh, driving along, uh, spots what looks to be an elderly male cyclist and basically wings him, clips him and sends the cyclist. You can see in the corner of the shot the cyclist flying to the ground and the driver speeds off and shouts LOL, as in laughing out loud. Now, we've got to. We've got to redress this. But that's an assault. That is an assault. That, but should, that, be, guy, that should be criminal offence. Yeah, that guy, of course, belongs in jail. But I think many cyclists, and again, I'm not here to, to plead on any particular uh, interest group, but many cyclists feel that the law, unlike your, your earlier listener, in fact, 
is ambiguous when it comes to protecting vulnerable road users. And there is also a concept, by the way, in, in well, it, it is named, I think it's named the Dutch, the Dutch Reach. And this is where it's, it's been brought in the UK as well, as well where, where motorists who are getting out of their car, when they want to open the door, have to reach over with their, with their other arm to do it. And this, the purpose for this, Matt, is to force them to look over their shoulder to see if there's a cyclist coming before they open their door. We just need to be far more wary of vulnerable road users. Well, listen here, Stephanie in Dublin says, what about adult cyclists cycling at speed on footpaths? I wouldn't even just say adults, I would say teenagers and children as well. Yeah, absolutely. We want to have a situation where cyclists feel safe to cycle where they should be, which of but course shouldn't is on be the road. On the footpath of because they, that's a danger to Of course, I mean, essentially that's another form of bad behaviour. The key difference here is if you behave badly, right, in a, you know, on a 20 kilo bicycle moving at 25 kilometres an hour. That's one issue. And also, of course, cyclists behaving badly, Matt, they have skin in the game. They, this concept of moral hazard. If a cyclist behaves idiotically, they're the ones who are likely to suffer. Now, if, on the other hand, a motorist in a two and a half tonne vehicle driving at 40 or 50 kilometres an hour, they personally, even though their insurance company might have a problem, they personally know full well in, the, in a collision, they're not going to get hurt. And unfortunately, that attitude has seeped into a psychology. And that psychology basically is like king of the jungle stuff. Another listener says, I appreciate drivers need to be more vigilant, but what about walkers and cyclists who don't have high vis? Also in car parks, when we back out carefully and pedestrians just walk past the back of the car, everyone needs to be careful, not just drivers. Good point. I actually have noticed recently, and it's particularly with delivery cyclists, they're not wearing high vis. They have not got lights on their bike. And I feel very sorry for drivers who at times only see those cyclists at the last minute. I agree. Look, we, of course, cyclists should have lights on their bikes. And by the way, that strange phenomenon of people walking behind manoeuvring cars and reversing cars, I've experienced that I don't know how many times. It's a weird thing because it's like as if you, the car driver then, you, you're, you're motionless or almost st- static and suddenly the position is reversed and the pedestrian doesn't see you. So it is, it is, I guess you're right, it's all about taking care of each other. But there is also, if you like, a hierarchy of care, Matt. And that is a reckless, idiotic cyclist, generally speaking. They, they may break their own neck, but they usually... Very, very rarely do they deliver serious injury to other people. The same idiot in a car will kill somebody. And that is the crucial difference. And that's why we need to have a hierarchy of care. Listen, we're out of time, but I just wanted to ask you briefly about something I did with Ian Guider. What do you make of this announcement, Ryanair and Shell and sustainable aviation fuel? Well, I thought it was great. I, I, I was looking at uh, Michael O'Leary and the representative from Shell and the logo of Ryanair and the logo of Shell together at last. And I thought this is perfect. Two of the world's worst climate offenders getting together to sell some hokum called sustainable aviation fuel. Why do you call it hokum? It's complete rubbish. In fact, I looked at, at their data and they're promising some tiny percentage of, of this mythical fluid called sustainable aviation fuel. I mean, Michael O'Leary, he... Careful now. Now, now, I'm, I'm absolutely. He, I guess he's he's a funny guy, and I admire his sense of humour, uh, and especially uh, leading or teaming up with one of the world's major carbon polluters. And I think, in a sense, uh, they're well met. Maybe they're changing. Yeah. Thank you very much, John Givens, for joining us on the last word in the environment. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from four thirty. Today FM.